The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Hi, if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzzword, manufacturing. Let's do a reality check. It's 2013. Manufacturers must adapt or die. Ooh, those are harsh words. Survival at a very minimum for manufacturers entails automating your shop floor, deploying M2M, you know that's machine-to-machine technology, leveraging your big data and your small data and a lot more. But I have a question. Is merely surviving enough for your manufacturing organization? Wouldn't you like faster innovation cycle rates, really flexible, efficient response time to changing demand in your market? We know it's changing all the time. Wouldn't you love operational integrity of your plant operations? And ultimately, let's get to the bottom line. Higher product revenue from new products, higher return on assets, higher employee productivity. What manufacturer does not want all of that? So what do you really need to do? And what is the government role in this evolution. I have a panel of top-notch experts. Well, we always have experts on the show. Smart people who really understand manufacturing. Let me tell you what their quotes are they sent me before the show. First, we're going to be speaking with Brian Raymond from the National Association of Manufacturers, shorthand NAM. He says, this is a good one, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Quoting, hey, you music fans, recognize that? That's from Eastbound and Down from Smokey and the Bandit theme song. All the way back, what, 1977, Jerry Reed, woo-hoo, little music shout-out there. We're also joined today by Mike Walton from Atos, and he says, if the leader is filled with high ambition and he pursues his aims with audacity and strength of will, he will reach them in spite of all obstacles. Quoting Carl von Klauswitz, we'll find out who Carl was, but those are certainly words of wisdom. Rounding out the panel today is SAP's own Scott Bolick. And Scott has a wonderful quote. Somebody had to come up with this. It had to be Scott. The factory of the future will have only two employees, a man and a dog. The man will be there to feed the dog. The dog will be there to keep the man from touching the equipment. That's quoted from Warren G. Bennis. Scott, great quote. So join us for Manufacturing Survival, Idea to Performance. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. We are live. It's Wednesday, September 25th. Can't believe it. This is show number 104. Little series we started two years ago. Coming up on our second year anniversary here at Voice America World Talk Radio. Woohoo! Brad will have to celebrate. So now let me introduce you to my panelists. We'll get to know them, hear their voices, and then we'll go back and have them explain their quotes. 
First on the panel, Brian Raymond is Director of Technology Policy at the National Association of Manufacturers, as I said. He works with non-members, the administration, and Congress to shape and advance pro-manufacturing technology policy, including cybersecurity, telecommunications, R&D funding, and IP protection. Before NAM, he spent eight years leading legislative campaigns in IBM's Washington, D.C. office. He launched the Government Affairs Office of Silicon Valley tech company NetApps Corp. And he was also, da-da-da, wait for it, Deputy Chief of Staff for a leading member of the U.S. House Energy and Commerce Committee, person to be be nameless. Brian Raymond, how are you today? Welcome to Coffee Break. What's going on with you? Great to be here, Bonnie. Thank you. Thank you very much. We have a lot to hear from you, so we appreciate your dialing in today. Mike Walton is a senior management and principal manufacturing IT consultant with Atos North America Integrated Manufacturing. That's why he's here today. They specialize in IT enablement of corporate manufacturing and supply chain processes. Mike's skills include a deep knowledge of portfolio management, contract management, strong leadership, the ability to meet demanding deadlines. Well, that's what manufacturing has to be all about, Mike. Management of strict budgets, getting more and more important, developing cost savings, and a lot more. Welcome, Mike Walton. How are you today? I'm doing very well, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. And we have panelists of short words here. We hope we're going to be much more robust when we get to the roundtable. Scott Bolick is the third man standing on our panel today. He leads SAP Solution Management Team. He's responsible for delivering solutions, assisting companies across the full product lifecycle. That includes sustainable innovation. That's what we're really talking about. Responsive manufacturing, uh-huh, and operational excellence. Before that, he led SAP's efforts to embed sustainability in operations and solutions for SAP. He was also the VP for Portfolio Strategy Group. And before that, he was a consultant for McKinsey & Company and Accenture and served as the VP of Secure Network Solutions and Applications at Interacis Networks. He also served in the U.S. Army and had leadership roles for five years. Welcome, Scott Bullock. How are you today? Doing great, Bonnie, and it's uh, really good to have uh, both Brian and Mike here on the call and really look forward to a conversation here about manufacturing at the intersection of technology and policy and what needs to be done to make sure that we can uh, create the successful manufacturers of the future. Well, thank you. I should have used that for my intro to the show. That was brilliant. Thank you, Scott. We have to do two shout-outs. I don't usually do them at the top. We're going to do a shout-out to Janice Edmond, who helped us put this topic together. I know she's on hold listening. Janice, hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for putting together a great panel. And also, Scott, to your wife, Brittany Lothi, who we've tried to get on the show many times, and we will get Brittany on the air one of these days. So, tell you what, let's get started. Let's go deep dive into the quotes you all sent me. Brian, you're first up. You quoted Jerry Reed in Eastbound and Down, Smokey and the Bandit. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. How does this apply to manufacturing today? Brian Raymond. Well, well first of all, Bonnie, thanks for, for the movie shout-out. When, when I saw that quote, <laughs> I, I do have to say that uh, when I first saw this movie as a kid, I think I was more attracted to the hot rods and, and, the, car, and, the, and the big trucks that were in it. But now, as, as I look back and think about that movie, think about the that quote and think about the lyrics of that song and, and what the folks were up against. They were up against the hard deadline um, that was given to them on short notice, and I think that's what manufacturers face today. They're constantly faced with hard deadlines. They're constantly faced with delivering um, exceptional products to their customers in a, in a quick time frame. And what we're faced with now is a short time to get there and, and the fact that sometimes government gets in the way and sometimes they can help. And what 
we're all focused on, I think, is, is building those relationships here in Washington and with governments around the world to make sure that governments help us get there as fast as we can. I appreciate that, and I have to tell you, Brian, that Malcolm Kimberlin, my co-producer at SAP, has found the video on YouTube of Jerry Reed, Eastbound and Down. Anybody wants to see it, hear it, enjoy it, it's now on our Twitter feed at hashtag SAP Radio. That's S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Uppercase, lowercase, doesn't matter. Just find it. Thank you, Malcolm, so much. And I also see that Assembly Mag is tweeting with us today, and Janice Edmond, of course, is tweeting, and Malcolm. So join the Twitter party. Okay, Brian, let's move to your co-panelist, Mike Walton. And you quoted, Mike, Carl von Clausewitz, and he said, if the leader is filled with high ambition and he pursues his aims with audacity and strength of will, he will reach them in spite of all obstacles. What part of that applies to manufacturing today, Mike? Is it the ambition, the audacity, the strength, or the obstacles, or all of the above? Talk to me. No, I, I think it's all three of the above. That's why I much admire uh, Carl von Clausewitz's uh, he was a pioneer of his time back in 1780s and all the way through to about the 1830s. And it's having the audacity to have the vision and to see it through to completion and to be able to understand the climate within which you have to work. And in manufacturing, at this moment, more than ever, the agility that is required and the vision that is required by the leadership um, of manufacturing companies today uh, is is paramount. It's beyond anything we've seen uh, other than perhaps the depression. And so that's why I often pick his quotes uh, to motivate my, uh, my consultancy and, and uh, our customers to focus on the objective end and uh, to, know, to, to be sure to have the courage to see it through. What part of audacity applies today? You know, companies want to advance. They want to innovate. That's what we're talking about today, Mike. But audacity, that sounds to me like it's thinking out of the box. It's saying, hey, let's leave something behind that didn't work, and let's go bold, let's go big, let's go new and fresh and really over the top. Is audacity something that that is a prized quality in manufacturing leaders today? It is a prized quality. Uh, as an example that edifies this most is I often mm-hmm. see in the market, uh, for instance, uh, manufacturing execution at a plant level across many plants where historically a large manufacturer may have been doing it in certain ways, whether it be by paper or some old legacy systems that just helped eat them along and managing through spreadsheets or managing in a certain way that gives them very a little flexibility and very little visibility, although it's comfortable to them. And so what they have to do is they they see the future. They have to be able to have the the audacity, the courage to be able to achieve that and see it through all the way through when it's not necessarily popular, but it's the right thing to do because the systems of today far outweigh the systems of yesterday in terms of helping the the manufacturer being able to do all the things you opened this very session up with. Okay. Thank you very much, Mike. Great points of wisdom there. I know we have a lot more coming from you during the show. And let's round out this opening segment with Scott Bullock from SAP. Love this quote, Scott. Amazing. Warren G. Bennis said, and you sent this to us, the factory of the future We'll have only two employees, a man and a dog. The man will be there to feed the dog. Sounds like the dog is the top dog here, Scott. The dog will be there to keep the man from touching the equipment. OMG. Talk to me, Scott Bullock. What are we really saying here? Yeah, Bonnie, I I love that quote, too. And I I think one of the reasons I love it is it it, it sounds a bit ominous. It uh, 
makes you wonder what's the role of humans in production in the future. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, it's not a surprise that people have that quote and that question because you can pick up in uh, any any news article on manufacturing, any news article uh, with regard to just uh, the Internet, and you can see things are changing. You know, 50 billion devices connected to the Internet by 2020. Um, Eric Schmidt of Google made the comment, every human will be connected to the Internet by 2020. Uh, so six, seven billion people. And then sensors growing at 30%. You can get all these statistics that just talk about machine-to-machine uh, connectivity and all this data we're going to collect. And it's pretty clear that that level of data, that level of automation is inevitable as the cost of communication declines, as the cost of robotics continues to decline versus the cost of labor. But I think that what, what, I, what I really like about it is it gets that feeling and, you, and it makes you question, well, what's really happening? And I think what's really happening is far more exciting and far more opportunity for companies and far more positive for humans as we go forward. And I, I think if you step back and say, well, why is that the case? You can step back because you can say technology is an enabler. And, and technology is there for us and, and it's there for the manufacturers to improve their operations. And I think how that technology is being deployed is really exciting. It's being deployed in, in, to meet three demands, I think. I think one demand is more demanding customers who really are requiring custom, tailor-made products. Second, it's those customers really no longer want to buy a product. They want to rent a product. They want to buy an outcome, not a product itself. And then finally, uh, companies are really looking, or p- uh, customers are really looking at at products and not trying to understand how do they become more sustainable. And I think that if you look at all of this automation that's incurring uh, that requires human beings, highly skilled human beings in order to orchestrate, what you see is, is that there's pressure to be faster to market, there's pressure for closer collaboration with customers and to be more efficient in the use of resources. And that that technology is really going to be the enabler that allows companies to deliver the value that the customers are looking for. And that's what really excites me. That is what Idea to Performance is all about, is looking at that technology and being able to help with the R&D to truly have sustainable innovation, being able to lower cost and increase the opportunity to have custom production and responsive manufacturing and guaranteeing uptime with operational excellence. And, you know, it really is going to get done with a whole bunch of great uh, hardware uh, that's being produced by, by, by manufacturers for the plant floor. Um, and it's going to be enabled by companies uh, who can provide big data capabilities, mobile capabilities, cloud capabilities, and analytical capabilities. And so, you know, I look at that quote, I, I chuckle, and then I say, I don't think the humans are relevant. I think what we're really going to see is that the technology and the automation is going to enable a new level of optimization and a new level of the ability to deliver the value our customers are looking for. Thank you, Scott. And you successfully manufactured us right up to our first break. I appreciate that. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. We are live. It's Wednesday, September 25th. Where has the year gone and where is it going? We're talking today to Brian Raymond, Mike Walton, Scott Bolick about manufacturing survival, idea to performance. When we come back, I'll ask my three guests, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking, guys? Or what do you want us to think you're drinking? Or what do you wish you're drinking? Anyway, to my listeners, don't even think of touching that dial, that app, that mouse. We've got lots more. Even if you're not in the manufacturing field, this is information you will appreciate on either side of that. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We'll be right back. Brad out.
when it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and it's time to find out what happened with the coffee break in our name. Well, what are my guests drinking today, or what do they wish they were drinking? Let's find out first. Brian Raymond, first of all, where are you calling from, and what's in your cup today, Brian? Well, well, well hello again, Bonnie. This, I'm calling from Washington, D.C., and right now on my desk, I'm staring at a bottle of Deer Park bottled water. However, what I would really love to have in my coffee cup, (laughs) and which I would love to find after this call, after this show, is it it reminds me of a story once when I, in a past job, one of the jobs you mentioned during my bio, I did a lot of international travel. And one trip I took, I think I hit four countries in three days. We, we We were in Europe, and we were traveling by train based out of Brussels, and we went to Paris one day, Amsterdam the next, and then London the third day, and it was it was quite draining back and forth. And I have to tell you, we were in the Brussels train station, and of course, you know that, that coffee over there is, is much different than some of the coffee we get here in the U.S., especially in Washington. And I tell you that the coffee was, was so good, so thick, I think the stir stood straight up in the cup that I had. It was so good. But I have to tell you, after three full days and four full countries, um, that coffee kept me going, and it was probably the best cup of coffee I ever had. And if, if anybody here from Brussels is listening, and if you want to ship any over my way, please do. I'll send you my address. But uh, I have to tell you, that was probably the most memorable cup of coffee I ever had, given how I was running on fumes at the time. I love the story. Great story. By the way, when I was in Cancun gazillion years ago on a quick vacation over Christmas, I can't even remember what decade it was, uh, Brian, I had Mexican coffee that was the same. It was so thick, the spoon stood up straight, all on its own. Deca- not decaf, full strength. I could stand caffeine in those days. Now, Brian, all they let me have is water on show days. No caffeine for Bonnie. Wonder why. Okay, Mike Walton, I'm not going to ask you to top his story, but tell us, where are you calling from? And, well, what time of the day is it and what's in your cup today, Mike? Well, I'm calling you from the tool and die capital of the United States, Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, it's, uh, it's 1120. I'm in the Eastern time, uh, Eastern time okay. zone. And uh, what's in my cup, I am looking right now at my favorite drink, Diet Coke. And uh, unlike you, I do like caffeine. <laughs> so, I didn't say I didn't uh, like it. I just can't do it on show days. But tell me, is the Diet Coke, is it cold? Do you have ice in it? Is it a tall glass? Is it out of the can? Do you have a straw? Come on, give me a little more stuff here. 
No, actually the Diet Coke's in a, a just a normal uh, 20 ounce bottle. And, uh, and I do have a pretty funny story about this. I was, uh, called in to look at a facility over in Iraq that was an oil production facility. And so I went over to meet uh, a team over there at this refinery trying to help it, uh, during the re- reconstruction period to open it up. So I was there for nine months. And during that period of time, I did not have one Diet Coke until almost the very end. I met this gentleman who was on the roadside, and he had two cans of Diet Coke. And I literally paid him $20. That's all I had in my pocket for these two cans of Diet Coke. So it is by far the most expensive Diet Coke I've ever bought. Seriously, well, that's a commitment. That's that's amazing. Thank you for. Sh- we get the most interesting stories on this show, considering it's a business talk show. This is amazing. Thank you, Brian and Mike Scott. Do I dare ask you to top that? No, I don't want to put any pressure on you. But Scott Bullock from SAP, where are you calling from, and what are you drinking today? Go for it. So I'm calling from Palo Alto, California. So it's 8 a.m. and and when you work in a German company, that means you're an hour four or five of your day. Um, so I am drinking caffeine, and uh, much like Mike, I've got a Diet Coke in front of me, although, Mike, I've only got a 12-ounce can, not a 20-ounce not a bottle in front of me. Um, but uh, if I look at coffee, Bonnie, I, I would say the, the greatest cup of coffee I ever had came in uh, Dugway, Utah, in what was then the fourth phase of Ranger School uh, back about 22 years ago. And uh, when I was uh, in Ranger School, let's say um, they invited me back for a couple of phases. They liked me so much. So I was struggling a little bit, and I managed to turn a four-phase uh, school into a six-phase school and got down to about 115 pounds. And I can remember the day I finally passed my last patrol in Ranger School, and it was in the middle of winter there in Dugway. And instructors let us light a fire, and I took my silver canteen out, took out a packet of instant coffee and uh, drank a cup of coffee watching the sun come up. And I'll tell you what, no cup of coffee will ever taste as good as that one. Oh, you know what? That is a topper. That's great. Thank you very much. Wow. This is our coffee break segment gets more and more fun every week. Thank you, Brian, Mike, and Scott. I have to read here. Malcolm, of course, uh, he loves to drink his Phil's coffee, says, I'm having my cup of love. Oh, thanks to Phil's coffee. Brewed one cup at a time. Thanks for the promo. Janice Edmond, I know you're on the line. Janice, and you're tweeting amazingly. You're almost matching Malcolm tweet for tweet. Janice, tell us what you're drinking today, and we will read it on the air. Okay, it's time to get a little more serious here, although it sounds like you're all serious about your coffee break cup and whatever is in it today. I want to kick the roundtable off with Brian Raymond from NAM, National Association of Manufacturers. And you sent me the following statement that is very provocative. Let's see if the other panelists agree with it. Brian, you said manufacturers are leading the economic resurgence. What I want to ask you, Brian, is what segment of manufacturers are we talking about? What part of the world? What types of manufacturing? So far, we've just used the generic word, manufacturing, manufacturers. We haven't talked about what kinds of products, what size companies, how detailed and difficult they are, uh, where their markets are around the world. So, Brian, why don't you level set for us and which manufacturers are leading the resurgence and who are they? Go. 
Well, I, I think I'd have to say, when you, first of all, when you ask me size, you know, uh, uh, manufacturers can be a five-person shop, a 500-person shop, 5,000 or 50,000-person shop. All of these folks are faced with the same challenges. All of them have to, are, are now competing globally. With the Internet, you know, we, we heard Scott talk about how connected everyone is, the Internet of Things. People have access to markets all over the world, again, whether you're a 500-person shop or, or a 500-person shop. Um, Mike is, is down in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, great to hear you calling from there. That's where the NAM was started over 100 years ago. We were started when we saw the power of manufacturing, how it could grow this economy back then. We still see that potential now, and we still feel as if manufacturers are continuing to drive the economic, not only recovery, but now this resurgence. Um, everywhere from tool and die to advanced materials to advanced manufacturing. But, you know, what is linking all of this resurgence together is the topic of what we're talking here today. They have to adapt or die. I think you, you mentioned that in your opening comments, Bonnie. Mm-hmm. They have to leverage this technology. They have to deliver value faster. You know, as Scott said, technology is an enabler, and everyone here realizes this, whether it's the handheld device they keep in their pocket or the piece of heavy equipment that is running on wireless technology, uh, machine-to-machine technology in, in their facilities. Um, it, you know, they are innovators. They have to move fast. If they don't move fast, someone is going to eat their lunch from, from their, their competitors around the world or maybe even next door. So all manufacturers know they have to move quickly to compete. Thank, thank you, Brian. And Mike Walton, I want to bring you in here. Uh, something I mentioned in the intro because of what you told me before the show you're talking about greater government regulation in some of the comments you sent me. Now, what Brian was just saying about moving faster or you'll, ha- you'll, you'll have somebody eating your lunch in manufacturing innovation and growth and, and the economic resurgence, isn't that antithetical to greater government rela- regulation? Why don't you help me out with that? I'm not sure I get the synchronicity there, Mike. Talk to me. Well, let me, let me say first, I think Brian and, and Scott would know that uh, what we're seeing in the market today is a growing uh, set of regulations, some good, some bad. Uh, what I mean by bad is sometimes it works against production and sometimes it aids it uh, in, in increasing your competition. Uh, as an example, as in the medical device arena, we are seeing increased sets of legislation which uh, perhaps extend the, uh, the, the work that needs to be done for the product being produced, whether it be for uh, something as a joint replacement. However, it works to the benefit of the end user, the one that's receiving it in their body, to understand exactly, you know, if there's a flaw in it, where can we trace it all the way back to and be able to prevent that in the future and help either that patient or group of patients. So it's always not necessarily bad legislation, but uh, there's certainly uh, an increase of legislation that continues. Another area outside that's, that's not often commonly understood is precious metals and the continuation of growing legislation that is from the United States and other areas about identifying where precious metals come from within your products. And that seems to ever be uh, growing and growing. And what we're seeing now is more legislation being proposed for that or for tracking uh, the carbon dioxide footprint of a specific product. And so uh, this legislation you requ- either you're going to do it on paper, you're going to hire more manpower to be able to uh, document this, these, this type of product uh, tracking that's required or validation. And so what we have today is a set of systems that can be easily validated that are up to the challenge. I know that in this particular instance, 
SAP has invested largely in ensuring their systems provide this kind of uh, ease of, of meeting this kind of legislation or they're out in front of it. And hopefully at times we're seeing in advance of it some of the software providers. And this really aids the manufacturing company to be able to meet this challenge and differentiate themselves in the market that they've already accomplished it either in advance or when the, when the, the legislation comes out. Or in some cases, we're seeing companies today that have filed for bankruptcy. Uh, we have uh, identified a customer that we spoke to many, many times who now filed for bankruptcy just last month for protection from the government uh, simply because of the, the fines that have overwhelmed them. Mm. So it's, it's true, it's happening, it's a reality, and it's something that manufacturers must be up for the challenge for. Thank you. And I want to get Scott in here before we go to break. Scott, we're about two minutes from break. I want to start a new topic when we come back after the break, and, and I'll tell you what that is when we take our break. But, Scott, talk to me about, about uh, Mike's comments about government regulation. What's your point of view? Yeah, I think, look, I think um, when you look at the government, I think government certainly, has, you know, we have to step back and say government can have a tremendously positive effect as well. And I think if you mm-hmm. look at Germany and you look at what Germany has done in collaboration of government and university and private enterprises, that they've really taken a look at what's happening in manufacturing. And uh, they've developed an entire program in a, in a series of institutes around the country where they are studying the changes in the market, the changes in the technology, and they're looking at what does it mean for Germany to remain the manufacturing powerhouse that it is today. And one of the great things about Germany is they have the Mittelstand and, and the strong small-medium business of very specialized manufacturers. And they're looking at five, 10, 15 years down the road, what do they need to do to succeed? How do they need to relook the value chains? How do they need standards in order to ensure that uh, this shop floor can effectively communicate with enterprise and enterprises can communicate across the value chain? So I think there's certainly a positive impact. I think certainly there are other areas where the government is trying to make sure that they are putting in place uh, well-intentioned programs uh, to protect the environment, uh, to protect consumers in terms of product compliance. And I think in, in those programs, I think what Mike said is true, that there can be um, rather um, severe cost to the enterprise in order to go ahead and adhere to those standards to put in place the policies um, and to improve their operations because it's not just about reporting, it's improving their operations. And I think from my perspective, if you look at technology, that's another example where technology can really aid. So on carbon dioxide, uh, companies manage their energy. So how can technology be leveraged to automate the collection of the energy information, whether it's within a plant or whether it's from commercial buildings, then being able to effectively translate that into the multiple standards that are out there for greenhouse gas and carbon dioxide from governments around the globe. So they can not only report and make sure that they lower their their potential liabilities, but they also make improvements on their energy usage. And in making that improvement on energy usage, obviously they're helping the bottom line. And then if you go over on the product compliance, um, obviously uh, systems uh, are tracking goods, right? They're tracking the raw materials. They're tracking the work in progress and then tracking the finished product that's shipped around the world. And so there's a tremendous opportunity both within the enterprise as well as leveraging cloud technology to enable companies to share that information in a much more efficient manner. And in doing so, 
not only comply uh, to those regulations, but, but once again, do so in a way that you dramatically lower the cost. And I think that when we do talk about manufacturing, we, we know that one of the things that is out there is that there is going to be these increased regulations. We see it not only in the United States, but we see it around the globe. And technology has a tremendous uh, potential to make sure that those uh, regulations can be enforced in a way that does enable companies to become competitive. And I think that's one of the challenges for companies like SAP to, to really work with the customers, understand those requirements, and make sure that we have the, the low-cost ways that, not, as I said, not only allow you to comply, but as you comply, make sure that you're actually improving your operations because at the end of the day, that's, that's what it's really about is the value to the enterprise. That's what it is. Thank you very much, Scott. You've taken us again successfully up to break. Actually, we're a little bit over. When we come back, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I had a comment here from Scott and from Mike Walton talking about the order of one. Hey, Burger King, I want it when I want it the way I want it. And the idea of design and manufacturing being driven by the me economy. We'll start off with Mike Walton. We come back and shout out to Janice Edmond. She says she's in North Carolina drinking lots of coffee. It's probably chilly down there now. She said it's brewed with her new coffee maker and it's very strong that's the way we like our panels very strong i'm bonnie d graham this is coffee break with game changes we'll be right back a lot more on manufacturing survival idea to performance brad take us out from the boardroom to you voice america business network The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. We're talking about manufacturing survival, idea to performance. Let's kick off this second part of our roundtable with Mike Walton from Atos. And, Mike, you say the order of one, Burger King, the way I want it, when I want it. And uh, Scott calls that the me economy. The consumer is king and has expectations. So consumers don't want to pay extra for something that we might consider customized. Tell me how this is working with this new resurgence in the economy caused by innovation in manufacturing. Mike Walton. So, you know, it's only becoming more amplified, Bonnie. The, the situation is, uh, I'll give you a, an example to quickly edify this to close out this point. Uh, I took one of my daughters with me, who's 13, to one of these plant visits near Cincinnati, Ohio, that's a customer. And this particular plant themselves, they make components that go into a motorcycle. And so when she was going on this uh, little tour with me, her response was, 
well, why can't I have it the color I want it? Why, why do I have to pick the three that you have available? It just rationally did not make sense to her. And she's, she's 13. She's a future consumer. Ooh. Wow. And so from what I can see from the market right now, I see the manufacturing uh, organizations and companies that have vision, that audacity I talked about before, to meet the challenge of an order of one. And in fact, what was being uh, said earlier by Scott is, in fact, they're not even now the future is not just I want to buy one. It's when I'm buying it, I'm thinking of the service uniquely to me that I'm going to get out of it, whether it be a car for the next three years that I lease it mm-hmm. or the five years. I want it in the make, the model, the color. The, I want to customize the interior, and more importantly, I don't want to have to pay for that. I think I should pay the base price. I shouldn't be paying a custom fee. So I'll ask for the other panelists. I'd, I'd like to hand yeah. it back to you to hear their response. Yeah, Scott, I want you to chime in because you call it the me economy. Why don't you chime in where Mike left off, and then we'll get Brian in here too. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah, I think I think Mike uh, teed it up uh, pretty good there. I think you know if you take a look at customers and consumers, whether it be an industrial manufacturer or whether it be a consumer in their home, they really want everything made to them. You know, and and we kind of term that the me economy, and I think it's got two implications. I think one for manufacturers, the need to get a transformation that allows a seamless process from order collection through the variant configuration and the production planning and the actual execution on the manufacturing shop floor is critical. And you know, we've got one company um, that we do business with, and the story I love is that you know they they went from having a production uh, freeze of 21 days in terms of their schedule down to six hours. And so when people are looking at the ordering that part all the way until that part or that product starts to be produced, there could be changes coming in as people tweak exactly what they want. And that is pretty much the norm. And I think it's exciting because it's going to ensure that people really are getting in their hands what they need. Uh, But it's also, I think, a challenge for manufacturing because they have to really look at optimizing all of their processes. And then they have to look at new technologies um, that make sure that the changes can get into the hands of the individuals who are producing as quickly as possible. And, you know, that's where we really look at mobile technologies and other technologies that are, are going to be increasingly on the shop floor where that enterprise data, that real planning data, um, that real customer data gets really tightly integrated more than it's ever done so in the past. Thank you, Scott. Brian Raymond, join in this discussion of me economy. Should customization be standard and how flexible and agile are, are the manufacturers of today? We'll talk at the last part of the show. We'll talk about the crystal ball. You can predict how that flexibility will be happening in the next five years. But right now today, who can do this? Well, first of all, let me say I have a five-year-old, and Mike, I'm concerned. I thought that just the five-year-old said they wanted everything for themselves. If I have to wait till he's 13, then that, that's a whole other story. But um, it, you know, manufacturers. It, uh, I guess the, the point r- really about this is, is um, I'm a consumer. We're all consumers. We all want it fast. We want it now. We want what we want. You know, I just want to tie this segment back to the last one. All of our members understand that, but what they're faced with now is what we talked about in the last segment. There's good regulation, there's bad regulation. Mm-hmm. We talk about conflict minerals, we talk about these these ozone regulations and all the things that the government is putting down on our backs. And this isn't to be negative, this is just to say that people, folks are responding to a problem, but when they're over-respond, when they're overburdensome, manufacturers cannot make these investments that both Mike and Scott talk about. They can't make the mobile investments. They can't make the investments in the, in the, in the machinery that is going to... to, to 
churn products out faster. So just uh, just to make the connection between the uh, customer of one and the manufacturing of one or the order of one, that needs to continue to happen. Manufacturers are adjusting to that. They have just-in-time inventory, just-in-time delivery, just-in-time production, but they cannot move forward. They cannot make those investments they need to make if they're continuing to be held back by overburdensome requirements by the federal government. Thank you, Brian. And, Brian, I'm going to use you to do a, a complete turnaround here. I want to talk about another aspect of this topic. Let's talk about the cost of doing business. You told me that it's this was a surprise to me. Maybe shouldn't have been. Let's see how the listeners react. It's 20% more expensive for a manufacturer to do business in the U.S. compared to our eight largest trading partners. And that doesn't even include the cost of labor. And you said, and here's your quote, something has to give. Brian, kick this part off, and then I want Mike and Scott to chime in. We have about five minutes till break. I want to cover this. I think it's important. We don't have to get political, but let's, let's talk about the facts of doing business here. So, Brian, take me in. Sure, I'll do this quick because, you know, I'd like to hear, of course, like you, want to hear from Mike and Scott because they're, they're on the ground dealing with these types of issues. Mm-hmm. We're talking about our, our current tax policy. We talked a little bit about the regulatory policy. Uh, we're talking about the incentive to invest here in the United States. Are the tax policies right? Are the regulatory policies right? Um, you know, again, not factoring the cost of labor. Obviously, that's one that, um, that everybody talks about it's cheaper to do business overseas. Mm-hmm. That that has since leveled out. The cost of energy, thankfully to the natural gas boom that we're facing, that you know that cost has gone down, frankly, but there still is a high cost of energy here. So um, that's when we talk about it being more expensive to do business here in the U.S., and, and that's what we're working toward with companies like SAP and others to make sure that um, uh, people making those policies understand that. Thank you. Mike, Walton, talk to me. What's your point of view on this? Anything to add, subtract, change? So I do want to clarify, certainly to his point, <clears throat> that uh, I, I think that legislators must understand that they cannot, can, you know, in some cases they just have to understand the second and third order effects uh, that are resulting from some of the legislation that prevents uh, the investment in our country. Although, that said, um, I will say that yesterday, for instance, I was with a customer uh, that is uh, solely in China. And one of the things they shared with me over dinner is they are seeing college graduates in the the 20 percentile without jobs in their country. They're seeing manufacturing moving out of their country in some cases back to the U.S. and other geographies. And I believe that's exactly his point around it. Things are leveling out. But it's energy policy, it's energy consumption, the cost of energy that's often driving that decision. You know, is it cheaper to make it there and push it here? Or can mm-hmm. I make it, as you remember from the 70s and 80s, can I make it more locally towards my customer base? And uh, I believe we're going to see some future legislation potentially unwind over the next five years, opening the market back up for better investment. Thank you. Good. Scott Bullock, join in here. What do you see? Yeah, I think uh, great, great points by both Brian and Mike. I, I, you know, I'd like to go a little bit of a tangential here. I think mm-hmm. when you look at regulations, uh, you know, certainly I, I agree with Mike and with Brian. It needs to be a holistic approach that's really looking at how you're nurturing manufacturing within the country. But I think when you step back, another angle that's really important is to always consider the regulations and what's the cost of implementing those regulations and designing those regulations in a way that you can meet the desired goals 
that you can build the that they are oriented on building business but then additionally they they they're they're staged they're developed in a way that it's very clear how you will go ahead and collect and share that information and i think what we often see with Frank Dodd and, and conflict minerals and other areas is that the regulations are put in place and then it seems as though it's a secondary consideration in terms of how are companies actually going to accommodate the regulations, uh, what's the technology they need, what's the level of collaboration they need. And, you know, there certainly are opportunities with cloud-based technologies uh, to exchange information in a much more efficient manner. Uh, but I think that uh, it's really incumbent that is regulations are, are built, that there is that uh, that uh, collaboration or that consultation across the entire ecosystem, which I think obviously is the companies that are being uh, uh, have the regulations placed on them. But then it's that ecosystem that's going to support them as well. Thank you, Scott. We have three minutes to break. I'm going to throw out a question here combining two talking points and ask each of my speakers to talk for about 30 seconds on both. Number one, in real estate, it's called location, location, location. In manufacturing, it's called quality, quality, quality. Are we seeing a decline in quality? Are we pissing off, excuse my French, the consumer when they're getting crappy quality from a hurried up or careless manufacturing process. But let's combine that with social networking, the impact on manufacturing. You mess up, you're going to see it, you're going to hear it, Twitter, Facebook, anywhere. You're going to see the backlash of what, uh, let's see, Mike Walton calls the sometimes sharp fingers of the consumer interaction on social media. So let's first go, Brian Raymond, quickly. Quality, quality. Quality, quality, good, bad, ugly, where is it going, and the impact of social networking on this. Go. Hey, there's a reason you have a Twitter handle. We have a Twitter handle. Everyone on this call has a Twitter handle. Folks care what other people think about their products, and I think that has helped. You know, All manufacturers, I think, will want to put out the best product they can of the highest quality, and that customer feedback, I think, is extremely helpful. So I, I, I don't see a decrease in quality, and I, I think social networking, if anything, is probably helping manufacturers deliver more of what their customers want. Good. That's what we wanted to hear. That's what I was hoping to hear. Mike Walton, what do you say? Well, you know, in this economy of the me, it's very clear that if if a person receives a product and it's not of good quality, you know, legacy was call a phone and talk to a, uh, someone in, com- in the company to try to get it rectified. And even today, if that experience is not good, let alone just the quality of the product, then the, the mass media that's out there today from social media enterprise just can crucify a company. I'll give a case in point where I won't say the company's name, but their stock lost over 22% within a week simply because of the, the awareness that was building that went viral um, across Twitter for the, the, the constant con- uh, lack of quality that consumers were reporting. There you go. We have a voice. We're using it. And Scott Bolick, I'll give you 30 seconds. Finish this part up for us, please. What yeah. do you see? Absolutely. Social networks are important. I was actually in a, a meeting with a customer just a week ago, and that was one of the things they were looking for was how can they actually get analytics on that social network, on that social traffic, so they can understand the demand as well as the quality issue. And I think the other thing that we, we need to really play out or uh, talk a little bit about is that big data uh, when you take a look at heavy manufacturing, uh, consumer durable goods or machines and factories, um, uh, construction equipment, I think increasingly what you're seeing is data being collected from those machines and the manufacturer having access to those machines. And when you can correlate that performance of those machines versus where they're produced, how they're being used, 
um, then you get an opportunity to identify quality issues very early on. So I think social network's important, but I think when you look at big data, it has a tremendous opportunity for us to eliminate quality issues, 80% of which are repeatable. Thank you very much, Scott. We are at break. We're going to come back with the crystal ball. I'm going to ask Brian Raymond from NAM, Mike Walton from Atos, and Scott Bullock from SAP to get out the rag, the chamois, the banky, the polishing cloth, whatever you call it. Polish off that crystal ball. I know you got it hiding in the garage or the attic somewhere. Take a look deep inside and go ahead. Five years for me, if we had this conversation in 2018, What would we be saying about manufacturing survival and idea to performance? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is SAP Coffee Break with Game Changers. We'll be right back after the break. You don't want to miss these predictions. Stellar, take notes. Janice, you're our new tweeting champion. We'll be right back. Brad, out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013 over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology comprising 34.9 percent of the workforce the impact of mobility on business is clear Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. Time for the crystal ball. We want to tap into the brains, the expertise, the mindset, the vision of my three panelists and find out what they see ahead if we had this conversation five years from today on the same topic, manufacturing survival, idea to performance. What would we be talking about? Or would we even be talking about it at all? Brian Raymond, National Association of Manufacturers, NAM. Great points during the show. What do you see in the crystal ball, Brian? I think five years from now, if we did the same call, we'd be sitting here and talking about the growing lead that manufacturers have. We'd be talking about is it how big it is or how can we make it bigger. I think, and a lot of that will be due to some of the things we've talked about today, the automated shop floor, the highly skilled workers, the amount of money that manufacturers spend in R&D, the amount of intellectual property being cranked out of those labs and being cranked out of those products, the trade secrets that manufacturers have. That will be the difference five years from now and how big our lead will be. However, one big factor that plays into that is some of the themes we've talked about here. Will there be enough policies conducive to to continue those investments in R&D? Will there be that incentive to invest here in the United States? Will there be that? Will those high skilled workers remain here in the U.S.? So hopefully, five years from now, we'll be looking at highly automated factories, highly skilled workers. 
intellectual property that differentiates those that manufacture in the U.S. from everyone around the world, and our lead will probably be, will hopefully be as big as it possibly can be. Brian, will we have more manufacturers than we have today based in the U.S. or fewer based on everything we've discussed? Well, I think what you're seeing is, is a trend I think that, that Mike had mentioned is that folks are looking to the U.S. as a more attractive place to go given the cost mm-hmm. of energy. So my prediction would be we will, we will have, definitely have more manufacturers here in the U.S. Thank you very much. You heard it here first on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Mike Walton, Atos, talk to me five years from today. What will this conversation be like? Predictions, please. So it's uh, it's three, Bonnie. The first one is um, because manufacturing manufacturing is really entering a new dynamic uh, phase relative to the global economies uh, recovering from this past recession. What uh, I have to agree with is is that we are going to see a spark in manufacturing, uh, increased levels of production, and, and the consumer consuming more. We're going to see uh, employment continue to uh, the the unemployment continue to erode. Uh, here in the United States, we're going to continue to see an increase of, of investment, I believe, due to some more favorable conditions around uh, economy and fuel. And number two, I do see, I believe, within five years, not necessarily this year or next year, but I do see that we have a uh, governmental regulation beginning to, to, I don't know if the word is properly loosen, but to become more of an advantage for some period of time for manufacturing um, in certain areas around the globe. I believe the earlier example of Germany is a pinnacle example. It's, uh, I'm familiar with that one, and it's, it's an, a very uh, high degree of an example for most countries to follow. And then lastly, the role of the manufacturer itself is becoming increasingly influential over governments and, and how they, they deal with governments uh, around the world, whether it be taxation or employment. And you, I believe you're going to see that manufacturing footprint continue to grow on a global basis, not necessarily uh, just locally. Okay, Mike, I have a quick question for you. Will manufacturing jobs come into popularity? We did a show on manufacturing oh, easily eight, ten months ago on the series, and people were talking, some of the guests were talking about how it's cool to work in a manufacturing plant. You get to carry an iPad. You're in the moment. Everything is happening so fast. You're checking inventories and parts, and it's actually getting exciting. Do you see that appeal continuing to grow where people will say to their parents, I want to be a manufacturer. I want to work on a shop floor. That's a cool place to be. They give you great equipment. You're part of something big, and it's happening in real time almost. What do you think, Mike? I absolutely agree. Uh, Just two points. I see an increased pride in many of the different countries I visit, not only our own, but most recently Canada. And uh, when I was over in France uh, and when I was in China, I see a sense of pride of the worker that they have it's very elevated that I'm I'm working on this product my company's brand and then yes. secondly even just here in Cincinnati and other uh, areas I'm seeing universities building manufacturing focused educational facilities that are offering these two year degrees or certificates and they're increasing in enrollment exponentially so yes I see the role and I see people wanting those jobs Great. Thank you very much. That's very positive to know. Scott Bolick, SAP, your minute and a half in the sun here. Talk to us. Predictions 2018. What will this conversation be like, Scott? Well, like any former consultant, I got to speak in threes. So I'd say there'd be three things you'll see in the future here. First of all, I think people are going to look out in five to 10 years and everyone's going to truly understand that we really are in a fourth industrial revolution. 
that the changes we're seeing in manufacturing are on the same level as the first mechanization, the electric, and the first um, first IT. So I think it is going to be big. I think the second thing, I, I, I really agree with Brian in that what you are going to see is more jobs in the United States because you're going to see manufacturing really become much more local. And that will include the resurgence in manufacturing and why, if you go back to the three things that I talked about at the beginning, if you look at customization, customization means that your R&D needs to be close to your customer and your R&D needs to be close to production, so they need to be close together. Mm-hmm. Second, if you look at renting rather than buying, it means that you really have to start adding services. And you're going to have a tremendous amount of automation through the Internet of Things and big data, but you still need somebody who's there to turn the wrench. And then finally, if you look at sustainability, obviously the more you can produce locally, the better off you are in terms of lowering the impact of your supply chain. So the second, I think you really are going to see the growth in the United States. And third, I think in the United States, whether it's a small company, a medium-sized manufacturer, or whether it's a large enterprise, the companies that succeed are the ones that are going to put in place a technology foundation that enables them to be smarter by really being able to analyze and gain insight out of big data that enables them to be faster through uh, solutions that really enable idea to performance, connecting R&D and manufacturing and service in a holistic manner. And then finally, simpler. You know, and you mentioned it, Bonnie, it's the iPad that people said wouldn't be on the shop floor. Well, it's coming on the shop floor. We've got a, a aerospace company that, that, is, that is looking at the iPad. And it's going to be simpler because the iPad is simpler because you can do 3D visualization and you can put the work instructions at the point of work. And so I think what you're going to see is a fourth industrial revolution with more production in the United States and the companies that succeed are the ones that are going to be leveraging uh, technology that's required in order to really be agile. Thank you, Scott. You take me right up to my closing. I have predictions, and they're written down, so they're easy. Next Wednesday here on Coffee Break with Game Changers, we'll revisit one of our important, socially important topics, Care Circles, Autism Awareness Part 2. Great panel of guests. October 9th, new and exciting topic, sports and technology, or sports technology. Special guests, write this down, Michael Gleibman, the CIO of the NBA, woohoo, and Marcus Bauer, the head of technology for the sailing team, Germany. Next Tuesday, HR Trends with Game Changers, our other series, 9 a.m. Pacific. We'll be talking on October 1st about diversity and inclusion, the business impacts of DNI, October 8th, the HR-led business. I want to do some shout-outs to my wonderful panel, Brian Raymond, Mike Walton, Scott Bullock. Terrific. Thank you so much for your insights, your expertise, and your wonderful coffee stories. And a shout-out to our new Twitter champion, Malcolm Dopey, Jealous. Janice Edmond, she brought us the topic. She's been tweeting her heart out. Thank you, Janice. You rock. Also, shout-out to Laura Narvez from NAM, Emily Lopez for helping with scheduling. Malcolm, of course, shout-out to Brittany Lothi. We love you, Brittany. You're going to come on the show one of these days. Brad and the Business Channel team, great job, everyone. Now, Bonnie's call to action, fasten your seatbelt. I don't care where it was manufactured, just put it on. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game-changer today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham for SAP Game Changers Radio. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.